We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You know, what he's done in the four months since his first start in Arizona, see how he's changed, how he's grown and how he's developed as a quarterback and how the team's able to rely on him. This could be fun for a long time. It's January 2013, Seahawks at Falcons. This is Remember That Game, the podcast about sporting events that take you on a journey and maybe chart the path of the zeitgeist. I'm your host, Thomas Semerick, and my guest is John Gilbert, editor for SB Nation's Field Goals. Done a lot of interesting work at field goals, especially with like the offensive line analysis over the years for the Seahawks, and, and an interesting time for the Seahawks offensive line that early past decade there. And on that day, you have most of that core. You have an offense that's very much hinged on the running game, a quarterback and Russell Wilson, who's pretty well protected. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it was uh, it was one of those years where it was Tom Cable's second year in Seattle. He didn't have a reputation yet as being, you know, horrible in pass protection. Uh, he had a line that was, but you know, he, he had Okung at left tackle. He had Sweezy, who was his, you know converted defensive tackle at guard he had max unger who we all know developed into something very special but at that time it was his you know first real season second real season at center uh he had journeyman on the right side and paul mcquiston and Bruno giacomini i mean and it was uh you know the the line had shown what they could do in the second half of 2012 um and, but i think that game was the first time that they really truly unleashed the passing attack that they absolutely had to you know late in the game to you know come back um but it was you know it was, it was fun for seahawks fans to watch up until the very last <laughs> before there was 28 to 3 for the falcons there's 27 to 7 in the fourth quarter Seahawks rally back, take the lead, and Matt Ryan, with about 30 seconds left, gets the ball back, drives him ahead for the field goal. Not quite as time expired because they Mike Smith called the timeout much earlier than they need to, and then Russell Wilson had his own chance to throw a Hail Mary, which was intercepted by Julio Jones. Yeah, no, it was it was one of those games where it was I was visiting my sister and I was screaming for the whole fourth quarter and the dogs were scared and they ran out back and, you know, sat down outside. Um, my sister was screaming at me to be quiet so that she could take a nap. And, you know, I was when the Seahawks took the lead, I was as ecstatic as could be. And then to watch, you know, Matt Ryan, um, you know, 
two plays and they get 41 yards and all of a sudden the emotions are you know 360 degrees completely turned around just what 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 just happened what and you know it was it was a game <laughs> even though it's not on like uh, the top 10 games of the decade that NFL throwback released which is a YouTube channel one of the inspirations for this podcast they had two Seattle games on the list and it wasn't this one uh, and can you guess what those games are the games of the decade, I mean, I would guess one would be the Super Bowl 48. And then the other one I would guess would be the, the Beast Quake game. No, it was the comeback against the Packers down 19-7. I could see that one, but I mean, it's as a, I guess that one kind of gets lost in the lore. We try and forget 2014, but. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> the Falcons Seahawks game though, do it feel like up there or maybe the most you've ever had your heart pound during a Seahawks game? I it would be close with the Beastquake game up to that point. Um, you know, it was it's definitely up there. It was I think for you know, what Beastquake was in terms of announcing Pete Carroll's arrival and the Seahawks' arrival in terms of their style and their identity and the defense right. and running game, um, the the Seahawks-Falcons game kind of was the same moment for Russell Wilson, where it was, you know, he'd, he'd had big games before. He had a good game against Chicago earlier in the year where he brought him back. He had the fail Mary earlier in the season against Green Bay. Um, you know, it, but it that was, it was his first career 300-yard game. I mean, they just, they jumped on his back and he carried him. And it was one of those things where it was like, wow, to see this kid, you know, what he's done in the four months since his first start in Arizona, see how he's changed, how he's grown and how he's developed as a quarterback and how the team's able to rely on him. This could be fun for a long time. Yeah. And for, in terms of that, it was, that was the game where it was like, okay, you know, we've been talking about, do we have a franchise quarterback? What do we got here? We got it. Like this is, this is what we've been looking for. And the game prior was uh, in Washington Facing, you're visiting the NFC East champs, where uh, the Vegas was giving the Seahawks respect on the road. Instead of the link, it was at FedEx Field, and it was much more representative of their typical script for their rookie quarterback. Uh, the the running back touches versus the Russell Wilson combined throws and runs was close to 50-50. And they, they come back from the 14-0 deficit in that game. Robert Griffin III gets injured. Kirk Cousins played that wild card Sunday, did not play nearly as well as he did this wild card Sunday. <laughs> Both these teams, the 2019 and 2012 teams, have yeah, Russell Wilson, Robert Turbin, <laughs> Marshawn Lynch, and Bobby Wagner, KJ Wright. This Falcons game is where it, it really changes from Russell Wilson, the rookie you know, game manager, to Russ. Uh, against the Falcons, he gets about two-thirds of the combined throws and, and or, or touches a total of 43 Russell Wilson touches plus passes versus 21 running back runs. Run game would still be a big factor. You know, Russell Wilson announces he's something special that day. Yeah, I mean, it was 
that was the big shift. I mean, you know, we'd seen in the wild card game the week before, you know, it had gone according to much more according to the script by which Pete Carroll likes to play. Um, and then in the divisional round against the Falcons, I mean, the Falcons jumped out to a big lead and that completely changed, um, you know, this what the Seahawks do. And, then, you know, late in the third quarter, early in the fourth quarter, when they go to their let Russ be Russ, um, you know, he, he showed what, the same kind of stuff that he's shown for the seven seasons since. And uh, I like to throw in trivia questions that like are very tough to guess and like oddly specific moments, but are kind of interesting through the current lens. The Seahawks, they they rush Marshawn Lynch in the goal line. You know, unfortunately, have the fumble against the Redskins. They end up overcoming that. In the division round against the Falcons, Seahawks down 20-0 to zero going into the half, but they're in Falcons territory. At the end of the half, they, they get a sack on Russell Wilson. They didn't have a timeout, so the clock ran out. The drive prior, they were also in Falcons territory. They use a timeout on fourth down. Pete Carroll runs on the sideline, calls a timeout. They have fourth and one. Turbin's on the field, not Marshawn Lynch. They call the timeout. They send in Marshawn Lynch for fourth down. They run a play. Do you remember what happens there? I do not. Fourth and one. Yeah, you, you have this hurry to call the timeout. Bring in Marshawn Lynch, and then they hand off to the up back, Michael Robinson. Stop. <laughs> <laughs> I do remember that now that you mentioned it. Seven, seven years later, you still get the whole the whole spectrum of Pete Carroll timeouts. And then kind of interesting, the, the following game, the, the Falcons had winning this, the Niners beat the Falcons off a questionable no PI call, sends the Niners to the Super Bowl on fourth and four. It's not Fred Warner on uh, Jacob Hollister, but another Niners linebacker hold, <laughs> holding holding Roddy White pretty blatantly. I would say Roddy White actually initiates contact way less than Jacob Hollister did. Uh, do you remember what Niners linebacker took that KG contact? I mean, I I can the only liners linebackers I remember Bowman and I remember Willis. Bowman, uh, Bowman. Was it Bowman? Yeah. Okay. So yeah, so Bowman, and then seven years later, Niners linebacker Fred Warner with the KG contact to propel the Niners to a better you know positioning for the playoffs. Seahawks were they're they're down twenty at halftime. Teams down twenty plus points in the playoffs. Do you remember the one team to overcome that up to that point? Teams were 56 and one, went up 20 plus points, and they just had an anniversary recently. That would be the the Houston Buffalo game. Yep, yep. So th- this was Russell Wilson had the Frank Reich Houston Buffalo moment, and then with 30 seconds left, game-winning drive by Matt Ryan. What kind of clarity do you remember that, or were you, did you just black out during it? I know I remember that because I was I mean I was jumping up and down I was ecstatic I was you know happy as happy can be and then it was like okay you know let's we, we go into the prevent defense all we got to do is tackle them in bounds you know it's you know just keep them from you know getting into field goal range in 30 seconds and then it was uh you know boom 20 yard pass boom 20 yard pass it's like wait what what just happened like what 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 <laughs> you know now they're in field goal range now they're you know it, yeah i remember that very vividly it was uh you know that was that turn of events that I, you didn't expect and it was just just brutal and a certain player who had never had a playoff win in his hall of fame career 
caught the pass. I think I ended up going for like 19 yards, put the Falcons in position to win that field goal. He's in tears after the game. Do you remember what player, the player that caught that pass? Absolutely, because I was in, I lived just outside of Kansas City when the Chiefs yep. drafted Tony Gonzalez. <laughs> yep, Tony Gonzalez gets his playoff win in tears after the game. Uh, emotional uh, moment. And also for, for Matt Ryan there, he, uh, you know, the story in that broadcast was about how Matt Ryan the year before. He gets murdered by the Giants in the wild card game. He had already the the, the Falcons were like thirty three and seven under Mike Smith at home. So that's like an average of like about seven and one per year. Yet they'd lost two home playoff games already to Hall of Famers, Kurt Warner and the Cardinals, and you know, eventually, you know, Aaron Rodgers and the Packers. Uh, so the story all game, Matt Ryan, trouble in playoff games. There's a key moment after Matt Ryan throws a pick to Bobby Wagner where all of a sudden the Falcons rebound right after the interception. Do you remember what that was? Real deep cut. That one you've stumped me on. Matt Ryan does something on the sideline. He okay, Actually, I, I could phrase this better. Matt Ryan breaks up a fight between two people on the Falcons' sideline. I don't remember that at all. But <laughs> he, he goes to the sideline. So the Falcons throw a pick. He still haven't scored a touchdown. He goes to the sideline. Breaks up a fight between Roddy White and receivers coach Terry Rubisky. And next thing you know, Falcons are rolling. <laughs> yeah, that was, I was probably still celebrating the, the Wagner interception at that point. But, <laughs> <laughs> but going a little more Seahawks focused on this one. You also have two front office members for the Seahawks that are going to go on become general managers. And you have two coaches on the defensive staff that will go on to become head coaches. The front office, yeah, With the, I can think of the guy for the Jets. I can picture him because I believe his son is now one of the – is oh, yeah. on the coaching staff. Is, is Dick or is Dick? Is Dick. Yeah, yeah, yep, yep, yep. And, and, um, and uh, Scott McLuhan for the Redskins. Yeah. Yeah, and then on that defensive staff, they they send Gus Bradley to, to Jacksonville, and then uh, um, Dan Quinn was the defensive line coach, and obviously he went on to eventually become the Falcons' head coach. Yeah, so a seminal moment there because uh, there'll be two more years of Mike Smith, but this was pretty much the end of them having like a somewhat. I mean, the defense wasn't great, but it was it was manageable. Mike Smith makes an interesting call playing his starters in a Week 17 game at the Buccaneers where the Falcons had already wrapped up the number one seed. They go to Tampa, play all their starters, lose to Josh Freeman. John Abraham carted off, who was basically the straw that stirred the drink with that pass rush. Asani Samuel and Dunter Robinson both exit the week uh, 17 game for a period injured and are rallied to play a couple weeks later. They blow a giant lead against the Seahawks here. Two injury marred years later, Mike Smith is out. And going into this game, this is quite a crazy turn because going into this game, Smith, I believe, was the third fastest coach to 50 wins in NFL history behind, I think it was like George George Seifer, Chuck Knoll. So two, he's behind only two people in the midst of a dynasty as fast as the 50 wins. As a, by wins and losses, about as successful as a coach can be at that point. They blow this lead against Russell Wilson. Two years later, he's out, and Falcons are looking for a defensive-minded head coach. Get him from Seattle. That coaching tree... And the players and the defensive style have permeated the league since 2013. 
No, absolutely. I mean, especially in the, you know, the secondary, the, you know, it used to be the, you know, a cornerback who with long arms and, you know, great length, good technique um, was, you know, they could pick him in the, the sixth round, you know, like they did with Richard Sherman, get him late day three. And now you know, those are the guys that they catch the, the attention of every draft pundit and analyst. It seems like where, you know, oh, well, this, this, you know, cornerback is projected to go day one or day two. He's got 33 inch arms and he's got the, you know, the attributes that the Seahawks look for. They'll probably draft him in the second round, even though, you know, the Seahawks haven't spent the day one pick on a, on a defensive back that wasn't a safety. Um, I don't think in the 10 years that Pete Carroll and John Schneider have been there. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. <laughs> yeah, even with not investing, especially in recent years, like draft capital at certain spots, the other teams have emulated like kind of what they think. The Seahawks did in 2012-2013. No one, no one has quite mastered it to that level exactly. They did. Niners are are kind of with Sally was was at this game along with Chris Richard, this uh, Falcon Seahawks game. Uh, Sally has kind of his has kind of made it his own, but no one's quite you know went for the full emulation and succeeded to the degree uh, Carol and Schneider did. And uh, but but that day a lot of young players which uh, that got them to the playoffs here. I think they had the number. One or two defense that year. Week 16, they routed the Niners on Sunday Night Football. Pretty shocking fashion because the Niners had been like the the toast of the division up to that point and even even through the end of the season. They had a lot of young players carrying it through. Uh, K.J. Wright, I believe it was his second season. Uh, Bobby Wagner, rookie year. Cam Chancellor, you know, Richard Sherman. Uh, Doug Baldwin all entering, you know, their second or third years, you know, Earl Thomas. But they, the Falcons succeeded at running the ball that that, that day. And th- this was t- latter-day Michael Turner. How do you remember how you felt when you saw the things Michael Turner and Jaquiz Rogers were doing to the Falcons' defense for, like, two and a half quarters? It was it was one of those things where, you know, Pete Carroll preaches stop the run, stop the run, stop the run. And for the first half and then into the third quarter, it was there was no run stopping to be seen at all. I mean, it was like you're saying, Jaquiz Rogers and uh, Michael Turner were both, you know, shredding the the defense. And it was, you know, it was disheartening because, you know, it's like, OK, guys, you know, we, we finally made it back to the playoffs. You know, this is our second trip to the playoffs in three years under Carroll. Um you know, after a couple of horrible four and 12 seasons in 2008, 2009, you know, it's, 
you know, East Coast, you know, Eastern time zone game against Atlanta. We're getting, you know, punched in the face. You know, let's come out and come on. Let's let's do what we're supposed to do. Let's do what the coach preaches. And then so to finally see them stop those guys in the third quarter um, and then be able to put together things to you know, put it together to allow the Russell Wilson to build the comeback was, you know, it was, it was one of those relief things where it was, okay, great. You know, Russell's we're to the point now where, okay, Russell scores one touchdown. He scores a second touchdown. It's like, okay, our offense can do this. We need the ball back. And then you would kick it off to the Falcons. And it's kind of like, okay, can we stop these guys? We know they're going to try and run. We know they're going to try and run out the clock and they've been gutting us all day. So what can we do here? And it was, it was, one of those things where you're just sitting on the edge of your couch the whole second half, just being like, okay, come on, what can we do? Please, you know, don't gash us. Don't gash us. Let's come on. Let's stop these guys. Uh, yeah. The Seahawks with 12 missed tackles that day, Turner and uh, was Rogers who had been running under three yards of carry that season. Each went for about seven yards per carry, each with double digit carries, three missed tackles from KJ Wright, two from Earl Thomas and Brandon Browner looking at the, the PFF game book. But Richard Sherman versus Roddy White and Julio Jones was pretty interesting. Sherman with three pass breakups that day, but Roddy did get him on one. Do you remember that play? I mean, if I watched it, I probably would, but at this point, I don't. The, 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 the deep post up the middle. Roddy White beats Richard Sherman. They've been trash-talking all game. Brian hits Roddy deep down the middle. Earl Thomas is not in deep coverage. The Falcons had somehow gotten Earl Thomas' man on a player out of the backfield. And you see Ken Chan- Chancellor trailing back. No idea if he had any like coverage responsibility there deep, but Sherman covered it almost as if that deep middle was going to have something over top in the way that John Brown was covered by Stefan Gilmore in that, that Bill's Patriots game a few weeks ago. It's like an interesting moment. You have that defense still kind of young. Do you remember any point since Earl Thomas being in man coverage on someone out of the backfield while the deep middle is seemingly cover zero? I mean, I, I, my guess would be, you know, because with Earl, with he had such great anticipation and such great speed and recovery speed, I would guess, you know, without without being able to recall the play, without, you know, knowing the specifics, probably he was trying to jump a route. He probably saw something, probably recognized, thought he recognized something and was saying, oh, it might be running, you know, whatever okay. they're doing here. Um, that would be my guess because, you know, that's something that Earl, I could see Earl doing, but that, you know, I mean, the Pete Carroll's entire strategy is stop the run and don't give up the big play and make them make the, make the opponent work their way down the field. And so, you know, to see, uh, you know, what, what would be effectively a cover zero, that's kind of the last thing you expect from a Pete Carroll defense. So it's either that or like Cam Chancellor was supposed to be the cover one, but like, I mean, he wasn't there pre-snap i don't believe and once the ball's in the air he was like nowhere near you expect that was an interesting play in the early part of the the seahawks run as like an all-time great defense a couple more questions dive into offensive line breakdown a little bit and, and you and i both like like talking continuity the falcons had a long run with baker blaylock mcclure and claybo this is toward toward like a mesh point in that run where they, they try to get cons worked in their early draft pick. 
But as the, the Falcons kind of fell apart over the next couple of years, their offensive line kind of fell apart. That had been this rock of continuity from when Mike Thomas or Mike Smith started in 2008. That the Seahawks had a, a, a good run too, yeah, as you mentioned with Okung, Sweezy, Unger, Gio Kamini. James Carpenter missed this game, but he was a big part of it, especially the next year, the Super Bowl run. How do you see that Seahawks line fluctuating from this part of the Pete Carroll Russell Wilson era and from the you know the championship years and then into the later teens? This was this was kind of the that was kind of the foundation. That was the first season where they didn't have great continuity that year within the season, but it was you know it was kind of a the core. The guys you mentioned, they had Russell Okung, Max Unger, um, you know James Carpenter at left guard, or at, you know at one guard, and J.R. Sweezy at the other, and then you know Giacomini out at right tackle. That was the you know in theory the lineup for the line for 2013 obviously injuries kind of derailed that and then it was after that super bowl win in 2013 that the line started you know a piece at a time after 2013 giacomini left and went and signed with the jets and then after 2014 it was Carpenter who'd left after Britt had been Justin Britt had been drafted and stuck out a right tackle. And then after Carpenter left in 2015, Britt had struggled so much at tackle, they moved him to guard. And then they tried Gary Gilliam at right tackle. And it was that was really it was after the 2014 season where, you know, after 2013, it started when Giacomini left Then 2014 Carpenter leaves 2015. Um, you know, they after that season, they lost both. Okung and Sweezy and that's when you know the the big downfall the big slide or you know the the massive pressure number started in 2016 I mean the you know they they went out and they signed Jamarcus Webb they brought in Brad uh you know Bradley Soul uh, it was just it was you know that was kind of 2015 was kind of the end of that core and into the the continuity and you know dysfunction whatever you want to call it from that was 2016 and 2017 as they were trying to build a core uh, a new core of young players uh, if you look at the 2017 offensive line until they traded for Dwayne Brown I don't think there was a single offensive lineman on the roster who was over 26. I know none of the starters were, um, and they had one of the, you know, the youngest, least experienced offensive line in the entire NFL. And it's you know with Tom Cable leaving, you know, being fired and you know taking the job in Oakland, and then uh, Mike Solari coming in, they've gone with a whole lot more experience. I mean, you know, you've got Dwayne Brown at left tackle, Mike Upati at left guard, uh, Britt was at center until his knee injury. Right guard is DJ Fluker who. Solari brought in from the Giants and then, you know, uh, Jermaine Effetti out of right tackle hasn't had a lot of, you know, not a ton of experience compared to the other guys that I just named. But he, you know, he's played every basically every game except for one over the past three years at right tackle for the team. So the last couple of years, you've seen the most continuity you have since basically this this year and the build up to that Super Bowl year uh, around when they kind of ascended as the in the class of the NFC West in that playoff game against the Falcons, they didn't need to keep their tight end in the block. DraftKings was around then. He'd probably be going like maybe 3,600, I'd say, on DraftKings, I would guess. That tight end balled the fuck out that day. Do you remember who that was? There, uh... I think he went for like 100. Miller? Yep. Yeah. Zach, Zach Miller, leading receiver that day, making... 
almost circus catches. Well, it circus catches, and it was the, the thing, the the image that sticks in my mind with Miller from that game is that, I mean, Miller is just as lead-footed and slow as, you know, basically at the very bottom end of athleticism for a tight end, if I'm going to put it in a polite way. Um, he is not fleet of foot by any stretch of the imagination, and the my big memory, you know, the one thing when I think of that game, I think of him, he caught a pass and turned and ran. And I mean, it, it felt like he ran forever and he must have had 10 yards after the catch It's just one of those things where, you know, he was he had phenomenal hands. He was a phenomenal blocker. And if, you know, if he had any any more foot speed than he did he could have been in the conversation every year as the you know pro bowl all pro you know elite receiving tight ends i mean he was very good he was in those conversations to begin with but it was just he it is one of those things where you just wish you know what could have been if he had been you know if he had um you know foot speed and hadn't been you know hadn't suffered the injury that he suffered that caused his career to end in his late 20s then you know he could have been one of the all-time greats at the position didn't really pile up the yards during the regular season, but in that playoff game, nine targets, eight receptions, 148 yards, and a touchdown. Between the two teams, there were seven people who, in the past 15 years, have been head coaches. Two of them, you know, Carroll and Mike Smith. Do you know the other five? The other five. So we would, I mean, we already talked about Bradley and then we talked with Dan Quinn. So that puts us at four. Um, Kyle Shanahan. I'm thinking of, sorry, I was thinking of 26 to three. Um, Dirk Cutter was the OC. So he was with Tampa. Um, Tom Cable. Oh, yeah. He was, I was thinking of after the game, but came over from the Raiders. Yep. No, no, no. You, <laughs> you. There's, a, there's another one that was prior, too. He was the Falcons' defensive coordinator. See, and I cannot recall who the Falcons' defensive coordinator was that year. Mike Nolan. Ah, uh, yes. yes. <laughs> yes yeah, so you know, many things never change, including the yeah, Falcons' offensive coordinator, Dirk Cotter. Falcons general manager, Thomas Dimitrov. You got Carol Schneider in Seattle. And you got the Seahawks again in the divisional round. Coming off a game where they put it on Russell, Russell Wilson's shoulders in the fourth quarter at Philly. It'll be fun to see. Thanks for coming on. Happy to come on and discuss, you know, other, other games and let you stump me with some trivia uh, again in the future at some point. This has been another episode of Remember That Game. Please rate, review, subscribe, and check out more episodes. The headlines remind us daily, the world is a dangerous place. The elites in charge say everything's fine, stop noticing, but you know better. And your gut knows that time is short to prepare for a world that is four missed meals away from chaos. My Patriot Supply has helped over 3 million families become more self-reliant and is the company Americans trust to prepare. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure their best-selling three-month emergency food kits. Each contain delicious breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Secure at least one food kit for each family member. For a limited time, save $200, plus get free shipping on all their Ready Hour 3-Month Emergency Food Kits. 
You're not ready if it's not ready hour foods. My Patriot Supply also has solar power generators, water filtration units, biomass stoves, heirloom seeds, and critical survival gear. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com